This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 24th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. A global automaker has just unveiled a premium battery electric sedan that could make the Tesla Model S old news, so we'll tell you all about that and many other things from the Shanghai Auto Show. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based in Maine. He tells me that the weather is glorious in Maine today. Tell us all about it, Chris. Spring is here, I guess, maybe a little bit late, although it's it's snowing in some parts of the uh, the state and probably closer to Detroit today, too, I think. So uh, I don't want to brag too much because it always bites me in the rear when I do. Yeah, well, we're, we're coming to the end of April, and I think that's an iffy time. It was certainly an iffy time for me in Chicago area. It could be 80 degrees or it, it could be 30, uh, and you never know. And from one day to the next, uh, that will happen. But uh, there you go. Yep. So Chris writes for, uh, among others, drivingtoday.com, Forbes.com, Forbes.com, and several other auto-related websites. And I write for uh, those two sites, jdpower.com, autobytel.com, a bunch of others as well. I'm also vice president of the North American Car of the Year jury. So I have that going for me, uh, a nice responsibility to have. Uh, this week, our special guest is Dustin Krauss. Dustin is director of e-mobility North America for Volkswagen. He just completed an epic cross-country trip. I know it was epic because I talked to him about it. In the Volkswagen ID4 crossover utility, I managed to catch up with him on about the last leg of his journey, and he had some interesting things to say about what he was doing. Uh, going out there across country with uh, somebody else's credit card is always a good thing, and I, Dustin <laughs> encountered that and had some fun with it, proving that you could drive cross country in an electric vehicle. In the road test segment, Chris, you will take a detailed look at what vehicle? The 2021 GMC Canyon AT4. Was that involved in uh, the, this removal of brush and stuff you were talking <laughs> to me about uh, before we went on the air, or is that, that entirely separate from that? Uh, no, it actually played a big role in my, my spring cleanup. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Yeah, so we have that. It's kind of all trucks this, this time around. I have the the monster of all trucks, the Apex Predator, the Ram 1500 TRX. We have certainly talked about it on the show before, but I just did about 700 miles in the vehicle over the course of about three or four days, so there is a lot to talk about, so uh, we shall do so. Uh, when we come to the uh, vehicle review portion of the program. But before that, we're going to talk about news. And uh, one big uh, news item was uh, Mercedes-Benz introduction of their EQS. I would say when you bring in a film director of the stature of James Cameron and a recording artist of the stature of Alicia Keys into a vehicle event, it's not your average vehicle event. And Mercedes-Benz was certainly trying to establish the EQS their battery electric sedan is something other than just another car launch. And I think they were certainly able to do that. It is an amazing car. Essentially, it's going to be their S-Class of the electric vehicles that they launch. And of course, the S-Class is their major sedan, their, their premier flagship sedan. 
and it's a pretty cool car. Have you had a chance to take a look at the EQS, Chris? I have, and you know, I think it's funny. Some, uh, if you don't get bogged down in Twitter as I do occasionally, people are comparing its look to the Dodge Intrepid from so many years ago, and I don't see that, but. I definitely see that uh, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting car to drive and to look at. Right. Well, in looking at it, I, the thing I immediately saw was a Honda Accord of about two or three generations ago. Very, And I, uh, that's not uh, putting the vehicle down. It's a good-looking car. It is incredibly aerodynamic. I think the uh, coefficient of drag is, is uh, 0.2, uh, 0.20. It's about as low as any production car I've ever heard of. The other thing that's a major headline news is the amount of uh, electric vehicle range they're offering. Of course, it's electric vehicle, so that's the only range kind of range it has. But it's 480 miles on a charge. I mean, if you've got four, uh, 480, you know, essentially 500 miles or so, that's probably all any of us are going to do. I, I must admit, I put in a, a few thousand mile days uh, in conventional cars, but I think having something like 500-mile range uh, really takes range anxiety totally out of the program. What, what's your thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I agree with that. That's more or, you know, that's better than many internal combustion engines. Even the, the most uh, economical ones can manage on a tank of fuel. And for a lot of us right now, and I, you know, even as people go back to work, that's going to be, you know, a week and a half, a week of driving for most people. So I think it's great. Yeah, it will be interesting, of course. I, of course, when you're... <laughs> Charging something uh, like uh, six figures for a vehicle and maybe as much as $150,000, uh, you can throw some batteries at it and uh, give yourself some uh, superior range, which, of course, is what Tesla is doing. Uh, I think this is a major challenge to the Tesla Model S, which, of course, is getting rather aged. It's been out there a long, long time and has not really been renewed. And that's that's one of the interesting things about the their business and the car business. The car business survives by renewing vehicles over and over again. And Tesla has put them out there and just kind of kept them on the market. And I'm not sure that that's a, a winning formula going forward against what will be more and more competition, just like the competition from the Mercedes-Benz EQS. Yeah, they've gotten by with some, and you know, more power to them. They've gotten by with some very clever software updates for their cars, uh, Tesla has. But uh, as the time goes forward, where the automakers, the, the legacy automakers are rolling out EVs that are able to not only manage the same software updates, but also a regular, uh, you know, overhaul and update cadence. Uh, I think it's going to be a big challenge for Tesla. But, you know, again, I've, I've said this several times, more choice is better. So uh, not that no knock against Tesla at all, but, you know, the more challengers they have, the better for everybody. Yeah, this is an amazing car, the Mercedes-Benz EQS. Uh, the thing that dominates the interior is what they call the hyperscreen. Uh, this is a screen, it's actually a, a series of three screens melded together that stretches 56 inches across the cabin, essentially kind of from side window to side window. I mean, we've seen big screens, but this takes big screen to a whole different level. It's actually contoured. It's not flat. Um, there's some contour in it. Uh, so that's very, very cool. Uh, we talked a little bit about the fact that it's all electric, but power plants could go up to 750 horsepower. I think they're launching with something uh, much less, not a whole lot less. It's probably over 400 horsepower, but uh, 750 horsepower is uh, where they're going to go with this thing, and uh, it will be offered in, in various levels. The front end, we talked a bit about 
uh, the styling, the front end has, instead of a radiator grill, of course there's no need for a radiator grill in an electric car, a, a flat panel, a black panel that contains a lot of stuff behind it, a lot of sensors are behind it, and then there's the Mercedes-Benz three-pointed star, and there's a LED light band across the front. So. Uh, this is going to be uh, just a, a premium luxury sedan in the tradition of the S-Class that, of course, is one of the best sedans uh, on the market and has been for years and years and years. I think that uh, a lot of people will gravitate to this vehicle when it comes to market, and it's going to come to market as soon as this fall. What's your, uh, what are your thoughts about how this is going to be received, Chris? Well, if it drives and performs as well as it looks on paper and in photos, I think it'll be a big hit, you know, even at that price point. And as we're going to talk about in just a minute, it doesn't seem to matter to people too much. If you give a premium product with the specs to back it up, uh, they'll pay the price. So uh, I hope it does well. Absolutely. It's going to have cool things like rear wheel steer. I mean, the amount of technology on this is just pretty amazing. And uh, so uh, we shall see what this does in the marketplace. But uh, Here's a hint as to how it might do in the marketplace, and that is a, a very logical competitor of the Mercedes-Benz EQS is the Porsche Taycan. And it is just about to overtake the fabled 911 in sales globally. They're going to Porsche will sell more of its all-electric Taycan uh, than it will of the 911. React to that, would you, <laughs> Chris Teague? react to that. Uh, yeah, just as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, you know, I looked at this thing, I looked at the Taycan when it came out and I said, wow, it's it's an amazing car. I think it has some amazing capability. But I've, you know, it was hard for me at that time to see who was going to pay the price tags because they do climb pretty steep. So um, I will gladly eat those words that I said to myself. Uh, I don't think I ever wrote them anywhere. Thankfully, at this point in time, it would have aged quite a bit like milk. But uh, man, what a what an interesting trend, huh? Absolutely an interesting trend. Another interesting trend is how important the Chinese market is to global automakers. A couple of examples of that. Of course, the Shanghai Auto Show has uh, taken place this week. I attended that in uh, years past. It's a fascinating show. Volkswagen introduced the ID6, which is a larger uh, crossover utility that will eventually be sold also in the United States, in the United States and China, but probably not in Europe. That's, that's fairly <laughs> interesting, I think. And then Toyota is coming to the battery electric uh, party with a, a bunch of vehicles. It calls the BZ series. That's for beyond zero. They are not just zero emissions, but they're beyond that. They actually suck dirt out of the air. I think it's, it's what happens. Uh, but they're coming to market as well. So a lot of interesting things going, many of them on the uh, battery electric front. And uh, the big question is, where are the battery electric buyers? So uh, we'll, we'll find out whether that happens or not, right? Yeah, I hope they show up because I would love to see some encouragement for automakers to continue. You know, the, the explosion of cars that we're going to see in the next six months, electric cars. Uh, I hope it continues. Absolutely. Well, it's fascinating for us as car testers and car evaluators, and we can't wait to drive a lot of these new vehicles that have just been introduced. And uh, when we come back, we will be driving for you and telling you all about two very interesting trucks. And uh, that is the GMC Canyon in AT4 form and the uh, Ram 1500 TRX the granddaddy of uh, fast trucks. So uh, stay with us for that. Uh, with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad with you, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. 
Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Jack Murad back with you. We're so glad you're with us. We really do appreciate you joining us here on America on the Road. If you like the show, please pass it along to a friend or neighbor or just somebody you uh, meet walking down the street. Uh, we'd love to have them share the joy here on America on the Road. And we're going to share some joy about uh, a couple trucks that we tested this week. Chris, tell us a bit about the uh, GMC Canyon that you tested this week. Yeah, I spent the week in the GMC Canyon AT4. So uh, the AT4 trim itself is uh, an off-road, sort of more rugged trim for the the Canyon. Uh, it's got 17-inch wheels and 31-inch Goodyear Wrangler tires, off-road suspension, uh, four-wheel drive, transfer case skid plates, and and so on. And the thing that I want to say just to, to start this whole segment off is that you know, I drove the TRX a few, a couple of months ago, and I've driven, you know, every other full-size, mid-size pickup truck out there. And we talked about this last week with the Hyundai Santa Cruz. I think the trucks, the size of the, the GMC Canyon, the uh, Ford Ranger, Toyota Tacoma, I think those are more truck than most people will ever need and more truck than I certainly would ever need. And that's given that I've been hauling, I would say probably you know, a few thousand pounds of, of lumber and brush and things around over the past few days. So um, it was more capable than I thought it would be in those situations. You know, sometimes with the payload uh, rating, you can definitely overload uh, a smaller truck like that, but it got the job done and admirably. And uh, I think that it's, it should be a, a testament to the midsize and the small pickup trucks, especially uh, with Ford coming with the Maverick soon and the Hyundai Santa Cruz coming out. What do you think, Jack? I absolutely like the idea of smaller pickup trucks, and at the same time, I'm not sure that the typical pickup truck buyer uh, thinks there is such a thing as a pickup truck that's too big. The uh, 1500 TRX that I was driving is just an immense truck. I mean, it's a lot bigger than the Ram 1500, and I will, I'll tell you about, about that. And it's not just for capability, but I think there's bragging rights involved. I think people uh, really profile with a big pickup truck and I don't think you can replace that part of it with a smaller truck. Uh, you know, I'd love to have a mid-sized pickup truck. I just think they're so useful and handy and they're garageable and all that stuff that the GMC Canyon is. But I, I'm not seeing the enthusiasm for that that you see uh, for the, the larger trucks. Yeah, I'll buy that. And I think, you know, there's nothing quite like riding above traffic. But uh, the Canyon's a good size for, for my family, my use, and, and a lot of others, I think, too. But... Uh, in any case, this truck featured the, uh, it's an upgraded V6 engine. So it's a 3.6 liter V6, a 308 horsepower through an eight speed automatic gearbox. And I mentioned this the last time I drove the Canyon, um, but this is one smooth riding pickup truck. And it's one of the things that I was extremely surprised with getting behind the wheel of this after having driven uh, the Ranger and even the Canyon's sort of corporate cousin, uh, the Chevy Colorado. Uh, it really soaks up the bumps, and the V6 uh, engine is more than powerful enough to get up and go. Uh, the larger off-road tires probably play a part in in that. You know, we're looking here in Maine. Uh, we're well into spring, and everyone's well aware of it, but the, the roads are still kind of torn up from the plows over the winter, and uh, this truck really just tackled all of it uh, with, with ease. Uh, inside, this it had the uh, a leather seat upgrade, an 8-inch touchscreen with Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, uh, navigation also had heated seats and a heated steering wheel. And uh, this was the, I think it's called the Super Cab or the uh, Super Crew, whatever the, the four-door version of that is. Um, but plenty of interior space for four people, two kids in car seats. Headroom was perfect. 
the only thing I would advise against is if you have kids and you're buying any truck or SUV and your kids like to be independent, you might have to help them get in and out. That's been uh, one of the big sort of points of contention with my four-year-old is that she doesn't want help, but she can't get in without it. So uh, all around, you know, for the price point, this truck starts at around $40,000 with options. Mine checked in just around forty-five. dollars um, You know, you could argue that it's too expensive, but I think there's a lot of functionality here and the size is just right, uh, especially for people who live in an urban area. Or people who live where you live in Maine, which I, is not particularly urban, I would take it, right? <laughs> no, not at all. But New England is, is surprisingly cramped in places you wouldn't expect it to be. Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, narrow roads and uh, narrow parking places and all that kind of stuff. And little towns that were uh, founded before the motor car. So <laughs> an interesting <laughs> yes. place to live, I'm certain. Well, I was driving this big, uh, amazing vehicle. Uh, and we've talked a bit about it before, but I, I will get the numbers uh, right in front of you. Th 702 horsepower, 650 pound-feet of uh, V8 power. Just amazing. Uh, so there's a, a, a ton of power here. Uh, it will go 0 to 60. This is a truck that weighs over 6,000 pounds. It'll go 0 to 60 in 3.7 seconds. It'll do the quarter mile in 12.3 seconds. It's just crazy fast for something that uh, has the aerodynamics of a brick. And that isn't all it will do is, is go straight. It, it goes fast off-road. And I had the chance to do that at, at some length. And uh, it's just amazing off-road. It has uh, an amazing amount of wheel travel, for example, uh, 13 or 14 inches front and rear. So that's off the charts. <laughs> that's not something you uh, get from your uh, normal showroom truck. It's all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive all the time, and there's uh, various there's four-wheel drive auto, high, and low settings. This thing is massive, even compared to the very large Ram 1500 crew cab pickup truck. It's uh, taller. It's a lot wider. It's almost six inches wider, and it weighs 1,100 pounds more than a Ram 1500, kind of in the same trim. So it's an it's amazing vehicle, okay? Uh, and we've established that it's great off-road. I think uh, I, I put that out there many times. What I did with my daughter recently was I, I drove her back uh, from her college. It's about a three-hour trip, mostly on freeways in, in California. So you would think this is absolutely not the right place to have a, a Ram 1500 TRX, have 700 horsepower. He had this off-road dedicated vehicle. I'll tell you, it was a sweetheart. It was, it was like the perfect vehicle uh, <laughs> to transport her. Uh, plenty of lockable storage inside the cab for all the stuff that we were taking this time around. Uh, the pickup truck bed in this particular test vehicle had a, a mounted spare, a full-size spare mounted in, in the midst of it. So if you wanted to put stuff in there, you had to kind of litter it around. And, and we actually did that when I was taking the whole family out to uh, the desert in California, another two-hour trip. Uh, we just put a bunch of stuff in the pickup truck bed, and all was well. Uh, this vehicle has a base price of about $72,000. That's a ton of money. But I've got to say, as an all-around vehicle, uh, your point so well taken, Chris. Nobody needs a 1500 TRX, they, this is more capability in many ways than anybody ever needs. But in, in terms of something you would want and that you could live with 
day after day, not just go out into the desert and then have the thing sit in the garage or you know sit with a tarp over it until you went out in the desert again, sit on a trailer somewhere. This is a day-to-day -day vehicle you could use absolutely without any hesitation. And at the same time, when you go off-road, it just has mind-blowing capability. So uh, the dual-use nature of the TRX, I think, is its, its special charm. It's just, it's just amazing in so many ways. I'll buy that uh, to a point, and I, I'll argue with you a little bit on the day-to-day. -day. Until you reach a drive-through, until you need to go to the bank, until you need to drop a letter into a mailbox, and so on and so forth. Well, and I maybe you're talking about East Coast drive-throughs versus West Coast, because I did go through a drive-through. I did some of that stuff because I, I remember you mentioning that uh, when you talked about the vehicle. And uh, you know, not every drive-through is exactly the same, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, we actually went to a Chick-fil-A in, in Santa Maria, and I was concerned. I'm like, okay, I, 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 am I going to you know pull into something, and I'll never be able to get out, and. You know what lines at some drive-thrus are like. Um, once you're in the line, there's no escaping from it. And uh, you know this seems like an odd test for the TRX, but it it passed with flying colors. I was able to uh, maneuver through that uh, kind of labyrinth uh, and uh, you know get the the chicken nuggets that we wanted to get. <laughs> I, I, I favor the sandwich actually, but my daughter wanted the the nuggets, and off we went. So. Uh, it will do some of those things. I'm not sure that it's the perfect vehicle to take through the uh, the drive-through at the bank, for example, and all of that stuff. But uh, I think largely you can live with this vehicle day to day in a way that you absolutely could not live with a dedicated desert-running truck of a decade ago. Oh, absolutely, and it's as you said, it's extremely comfortable. And you know, I think once you put your foot down a couple of times, I think you forget a little bit about those sort of shortcomings. And so I think it's probably a good trade-off for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't on the gas all the time. Of course, when you have 702 horsepower, you don't need all of them. Uh, even if you're cruising at uh, maybe a little bit over uh, the speed limit, not much. You know, if the speed limit was 70, I might have been going 75 or 80. I have to admit that. Uh, I don't advocate speeding or violating the law in any way, shape, or form. And we at America on the Road do not advocate that, but maybe it was a mistake. Uh, so in any case, really cool vehicles. I think your pickup truck could fit in the bed of my pickup truck, uh, but uh, just very, very cool stuff. Yeah, I can't argue with the cool factor on that one, even though I just spent the previous five minutes talking about how trucks need to be smaller. Well, and there, I understand your point, and you know, there's the rational left side of the brain and then the emotional right side or something like that. Uh, so, and both need to be served. Absolutely. Yeah, when we come back, we will be taking your listener questions. So uh, stand by for that. We're preparing ourselves with answers for those questions. So stay with us. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack D. Red here, along with Chris Teague, and it is question and answer time. We take your listener questions and provide uh, answers to you to these intelligent questions that you ask. We have such an intelligent, intelligent audience. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. We'd love to get your questions. It's easy to reach us with questions. Uh, just send them to editor at drivingtoday.com, editor at drivingtoday.com, and we'll ask the question and try to answer it on an upcoming show. But Here's a question that came in dur during the week, and uh, I, it's a fascinating question. I want to 
look forward to kicking this around a little bit. What happened to the station wagon? There used to be a wide variety. Now they're just a handful. Why is that? What's your take on that, Chris? Well, as an auto rider, I think there should be more. No, I'm, I'm kidding, but yeah. I, I do actually think that. Um, you know, I think this is probably a multifaceted answer, but it, it's most likely due to the rise of the SUV and the crossover. Uh, people, you know, reading an article a while ago in, in Car and Driver, people tend to buy the rugged, quote-unquote, versions of station wagons at a much greater clip than they do the the sort of standard family wagon. Uh, so the the thing that I can think of most is that people want the higher, riding, the higher driving position uh, and the more rugged ca- uh, characteristics of a crossover or an SUV, um, and probably to some degree don't realize that a wagon can be just as uh, useful and utility-oriented uh, as, as one of those vehicles. Well, I think this harkens back to the previous segment, Chris, in the, in the right and left sides of the brain, right? I mean, a station wagon for most people will do everything that an SUV will do as a family car or darn near. Maybe not tow a boat quite as well, but I think old style station, station wagons could do that. But it's how you picture yourself. And I think when we started to see four-door sport utility vehicles, and I re- I'm old enough to remember when there weren't very many, and the Jeep Cherokee was among the first, and then the Ford Explorer really kind of put that on the map with a four-door version of, of that. But that is what has taken the place of the station wagon. It, it performs essentially the exact same function as a station wagon. And I think your family is driving essentially, uh, what is essentially a cross between a station wagon and an SUV, right? I mean, you're, you're in a Subaru Outback, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and you know, going back to my earlier point, that's doing well on the market because it's more of a, it's more SUV like than it was in the old days. I say old days. You remember, like twenty years ago, the Outback was a lot smaller than it is now. Right, right, and most vehicles were a lot smaller <laughs> well, than they yes, are now. I mean, true. we have seen vehicle escalation in in terms of size uh, across everything. I mean, when you look at a, a you know a, a Honda Accord of several generations back, or a Honda Civic, or something like that. I mean. Back in the day, and I was at the Honda Museum about uh, three or four months ago, uh, it's incredible how small they were, uh, even vehicles that we didn't picture necessarily as being so small, how, how tiny they were. So uh, there has definitely been size escalation, and I think that's had its effect on the station wagon too, as vehicles are bigger and we have these sport utility vehicles that uh, can replace the station wagon. So all of those things, I think, have led to a demise of the station wagon here in the United States, less so actually in Europe. I think station wagons or that configuration, the estate as they call them in, in Europe, is still a pretty popular configuration. Yeah, and for more reasons than one, you know, I joke about the auto rider station wagon connection, but I do I do wish or hope that they continue, even if we only get a handful a year, you know, we still have minivans, so uh, we should still have some uh, some station wagons to buy as well. Absolutely, and uh, you you bring up the minivan, uh, the minivan, and that of course is another reason that we don't have station wagons anymore because the minivan is such a great people and stuff transporter, not necessarily sporty, not necessarily saying other things about you that uh, indicate you're outdoor oriented or adventuresome, but they sure do the job of hauling stuff. They do. Well, do you have a question for us? Oh, I do. So this question comes from a reader who is shopping for a car, and they're looking at certified cars, but they want to know the difference, or is it better than is it better to buy a certified car than it is to buy a new vehicle, uh, and why? What do you think about that? 
Well, I think uh, the answer is maybe, and we answer that <laughs> questions a lot that way on, on this because it depends on one's individual circumstances. I think a lot of people picture themselves as either new car buyers or used car buyers, and a certified pre-owned car essentially is somewhere in between, or that's the way I, I look at it. Uh, they're all fairly recent vehicles. I, uh, it's very rare that you're going to see a certified vehicle that's older than, say, four, four model years old. So they're late model, uh, put it that way. Uh, they have uh, warranty coverage. Uh, oftentimes, there's even financing, special financing on them. So they have a lot of advantages that new cars have, and yet they're two or three years old. So you can weigh the the benefits of having a brand new car or having a car that you know has been broken in a bit and is much less expensive uh, you know what's your take on that i think you're right you know i think you in some ways you let someone else get rid of the depreciation for you or at least a little bit of it and then you have a vehicle that has been uh tested and certified by uh, you know a factory backed dealership uh, having written about this extensively i can say you know you'll see certified, quote unquote, certified cars at all sorts of different car lots around the, the country. But I think it's important if you're going to go the certified route to make sure that you're actually getting a factory backed certified car instead of a, uh, you know, Jim's used car lot certified car. And no offense to Jim, I'm sure his certification is great, but it doesn't carry the same weight as, a, as an auto manufacturer. So I think under the right circumstances, it can be a great way to save a few thousand dollars and still get a car that has at least been you know thoroughly picked over by people who know what they're doing and, and are willing to back it with a warranty. I agree with that 100%. I think in the right circumstances, a certified pre-owned car is a really smart buy. Uh, and in some cases, I can absolutely see the, the desire uh, to buy a brand new car that nobody has ever driven before, or largely. And uh, that's exciting too. So uh, two sides of uh, that same coin. There always is. True enough. And when we come back... Uh, we will be doing our interview with Dustin Krauss, who has driven cross-country on Volkswagen's dime because he is their director of e-mobility. So we'll talk with him about his journey, about his trek, uh, when we come back. So with Chris Teague, Jack Red with you. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jackie Red with you, and we are on location at Del Amo Shopping Center in Southern California, in Torrance, California, uh, near my digs, near to where I live, so that's kind of cool. With us, a great guest. Dustin Krause has had a great journey. I, I can tell you that even from just from overhearing what you've said for the, the past few minutes. But number one, thanks for being with us. Thank you. You're the director of e-mobility of North America for Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. And... Tell us a bit about your adventure, why you're here today and why we're standing in this parking lot on a Sunday morning. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, uh, we have been driving across the country in our new ID4 EV, really just to show the capability of the car. Uh, something that we think is important with this vehicle is that it's a uh, compact SUV that can go anywhere uh, and at zero emissions. But it also can do that at zero cost, too, using the Electrify America DC fast charging network. And now that network has grown to over 500 locations nationwide, and we wanted to prove the car's capability. So we've driven from New York uh, the long way, over, I think, just about 7,000 miles now, uh, and now just made it to Torrance, California this morning, and we're actually going to be 
continuing our journey up into San Francisco and Sacramento over the next few days. Ah, very cool. And you're going to end up in Sacramento as opposed to in San Francisco? Yeah, we, we, we want to um, you know see some of the, the officials from California and celebrate with them. The, yeah. uh, While they're still here. in office, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, we, we, we definitely want to take the opportunity to... Um, to really go as far as we 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 can uh, we were even talking we we're having so much fun on the trip it's like should we even go farther uh so it's just been a wonderful trip so far um and um yeah i think we've learned a lot uh, and uh, having fun id4 is still probably uh, a new name for a lot yeah. of our listeners tell us a bit about the car and then we can sure so the id4 is a compact suv probably similarly sized to what you see from a honda crv or a toyota rav4 so if you you know know those products that are out there that's gonna be a similar size to those a uh, ton of room inside very comfortable car um, uh, all electric range of about 250 miles uh, uh, really sporty car uh, and great for a road trip uh, we've included uh, three years like i said of free charging with electrify america and what we set out to do with the id4 is to really uh, allow for the transition into an EV to be really easy. So if you are driving an internal combustion car now, moving into an ID4 is going to be pretty simple. Uh, you know what we really tried to do is uh, solve the three big um, kind of hurdles to someone purchasing an electric car. The first one being the price point. Electric cars up until this point have been pretty pricey. Right. Uh, this car starts at under forty thousand dollars, and with the federal tax credit be 32,500 and then there's state credits in California and other places that would even bring it below 30,000. Second thing range 250 miles like we already said and the third thing is where do I charge and now that we have a large network of charging we include that in the price of the vehicle that really should take away any of the hesitance to move to an EV. What did you learn about the vehicle during the trip? I mean, you've spent thousands of miles in it now, or a couple thousand miles, or close to it, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, what you learn? Well, I think the first thing is that it's super comfortable, and you don't have to worry anymore about charging. You can just kind of set off on your voyage. Now, very rarely are you going to drive more than 250 miles in a day with not knowing that you're going to make that trip. So, uh, you know, you'll know where to charge and, and where you're going. But, you know, we haven't worried much about you know, where we're going to stop. There's so many stations now, they're about 90 miles or 120 miles apart, so very easy for the ID4 to do. And we've really taken some detours. Um, uh, we've decided to, to change the route. We went through Marfa, Texas the other day. Yesterday we were in Joshua Tree. We were actually supposed to be in San Diego. So we've surprised some people uh, and done some different things like you would on a road trip. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which is interesting because I think that's the question people have, right? Mm -hmm. People buy a vehicle not for what they do every day necessarily, but for what they might do sometime, exactly. right? And um, that that comes into play with SUVs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't need that for commuting every day, but they want to have that. Uh, with the ID4, you might take that road trip and the question is, can I do that? Yeah. Right? And so that's a reason, I'm sure, why you're doing what Absolutely. you do. Absolutely. So tell us a bit. A yeah, bit about we're, that. we're out here pounding the pavement. You know, we want to talk to as many people as we can and really show them that this is possible and do it. You know, I'm out here doing it myself. Uh, you know, the thing that has, that has also happened too is the car started to really kind of gather a crowd. It seems like everywhere we stop, people are like, oh, I keep hearing about this new VW. And that's what you really have to do. You know, having someone see the car in person, even getting behind the wheel or test driving, that's really the proof point. It's like, you know, I'm old enough to remember when cell phones really came in to be. And, you know, when I was a kid, like going to the computer lab, that was like a treat. Now computers are everywhere. So seeing those transitions, we're going to see a transition into electrification that same way. As people really get behind the wheel and they experience it for the first time, 
it clicks. Yeah. Well, uh, tell us a bit about the driving experience because it's still something that most people have not experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is different. It's different largely, I think, in a good way. But yeah. uh, tell us what you found. Yeah, well, with an electric car, you have instant torque. So it's very peppy. It's fun to drive. Um, and because of the, the architecture of the vehicle, it's like a skateboard design. All of the componentry is really underneath the vehicle. The battery pack is in the floor. So it's very planted feel, great handling. Um, and because of the battery pack in the floor, there's a ton of space inside too. Another thing that's been great is uh, one of the features that we love on a road trip is the car actually has massaging seats. And so if you're on a long trip, to turn those on is wonderful. We've been through every kind of weather you can imagine. We were in Chicago in a snowstorm, so uh, we turned on our heated seats too. Uh, we've had um, some beautiful weather throughout uh, Texas, moving into Arizona and California. We have a large panoramic um, glass roof. So it really has all the makings of sort of the perfect um, package for a car that can work for just about everybody. If there was a typical day on your trip, describe it to us, would you? I mean, how far you went, what you planned to do, and tell us a bit about your stops too. Yeah, so what we tried to do is along the route that we went, um, we tried to see the things that we've always wanted to see. You know, hey, we're out on the road. Might as well. Uh, might right? as well. You know, one of the things that I've, a place that I've always wanted to visit actually is Columbus, Indiana, because I'm really into mid-century modern architecture, and it's one of the meccas for that. So we went all over Columbus, Indiana, checked that out, and that day we drove about 500 miles. We drove out of uh, Chicago to Louisville and all over Indiana. Uh, so we were generally stopping once, maybe twice at one of these DC fast charging stations and then plugging in at our hotel. I think that's the other thing that um, people need to realize that most hotels now have at least one or two EV charging stations. So to be able to plug in there and while you sleep, the car gets full again and you're back on your journey. So it's really been just a really pretty easy trip and fun. Talk a bit about the quick charging, the yeah. DC charging. Rapid charge along the way. How, how does that work? Yeah, so we're actually at a DC fast charging location right now. Uh, the ID4 is capable of charging at 125 kilowatt, and that means almost nothing to anyone, right? Yeah, but what it means much to me. Right. <laughs> what it really means <laughs> is that the car from 5% to 80% can charge in about 38 minutes. Okay, uh, that means it charges really quickly. Uh, but you've got to think. Most of the time, we roll into these stations with actually quite a bit more than 5%. You know, we're in between. We're trying to go. To, you we know probably wouldn't want to get to 5%. Well, right? it, it would be a little iffy. Well, you could. I mean, sometimes you roll into a gas station at 5%, you still actually have a pretty good amount of range, but usually we're stopping in between locations so we can do that. So when we stop at one of these spots, maybe we're at 15 or 20% and we're only stopping maybe for 20 minutes. We go into one of the locations where these are, they're usually at big, big box retailers or malls or somewhere like that. So you can go in, you can use the restroom, you can get a drink, you come out, you're ready to go again. It's really quite, quite easy. It's the stop you would have made anyways, even in your internal combustion car. And that's what we want to get to with uh, yeah. electric cars, right, is make it essentially seamless. And it seems, seems like we're getting there. You, you stop every three hours or so for a little break, 20 minutes out, out of the car, 30 minutes out of the car, you know, probably getting a drink or, or taking a bio, bio break or something. Exactly. Yeah. And then you yeah. get back in the car and you go. And yeah. so we've been averaging, I think, somewhere around 500 miles a day is what we drive, uh, sometimes even a little bit more and quite a few excursions. That we've well, taken. let's talk to, about some of those excursions. Mm -hmm. What are some of the just fun things that you did? I mean, you kind of turned loose with a bank account, right? <laughs> a little bit, but we were good. I mean, we uh, there were a lot of late nights with fast food, unfortunately, and uh, we didn't always stay at the nicest hotels because a road trip is about the, kind of the journey. So we just went wherever we 
kind of wanted to go. We had a lot of freedom with that. It drove uh, some of the folks in our PR department probably nuts. Uh, but uh, yeah, we had a great time. Uh, one of the, the, the best excursions that we had was actually going to Savannah, Georgia. It wasn't actually on our route to go there. But we decided last minute to say, well, it's only 15 minutes more if we go yeah, through Savannah. Choice. Yeah, absolutely good choice. And what I learned about Savannah, I'd never been there, is it's got about everything. Uh, there's the ocean there. It's, it's a beautiful scenery, a uh, great place to be. So we just had a, a great time there. And we've, uh, we've explored everything. We went to Houston, Dallas, Austin. We went to Marfa, Texas, which is really far south, and went out of the way to do that. And I think that... What, what drove you to... Uh... Well, Not I'm really Texas. into I'm really into art. It's a it's a it's a town that has is known for some kind of funky art and being a little bit uh, off the beaten path. And and um, I'd always heard about it, and it's so hard to get to. It it's it uh, kind of ticked two boxes to prove that you can get there for one an electric right. car, and the second one and get back. I'd always wanted <laughs> to be to go. Right. You know. Right. So that's what we did. Okay. And uh, what's a highlight for you? What was one of the major highlights. I would say yesterday was a big highlight uh, for us. Uh, We went to Joshua Tree National Park and what was great is there were a lot of VW people there. Uh, There was a lot of folks in the old Westphalia buses uh, and uh, you know old dune buggies and things and uh, it was just great to be part of that VW culture where these folks were there. They weren't expecting to see us there because we took a bit of a diversion and just wanted to check it out ourselves. And then it seemed like we all kind of got together and celebrated this new product. And you can see that even these guys and gals that are into the classic uh, VW products are really excited about the ID4. Many of them already had reservations on the product uh, and are waiting to get there. So it's just a great sign and, and you know, makes me feel like, hey, we're, we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, well, Volkswagen certainly made a big pivot toward yeah. EVs, right? So. Tell our listeners a bit about that. We've talked a bit about it on the show, but give us your take on that whole thing. Well, I think it's a for, you know, for us, I think, you know, the future is pretty clear uh, with electrification really being the path. You can start to, you're starting to see that on the roadways now too. And with consumers saying that their next car that they're considering purchasing is probably going to be electric. We know this from all the research that we do. So that makes a lot of sense for us. And it is a pivot. Uh, it's a totally different kind of product. It's a, in, in, in many ways right now, a more sophisticated customer set too. You know, these people really know a lot about the product. So um, it's, it's gonna be a transitionary period. And we're working with our dealers, we're working with customers, and we're making sure that, you know, we do this in a very um, thoughtful way. And that's why we wanted to come out with the ID4 first. It's the heart of the most popular segment of the American market. That's what everybody's buying right now. So how can we make the biggest impact the soonest? And that's what the ID4 represents. When uh, somebody buys an ID4 or they buy another electric from Volkswagen, uh, and you are using public charging stations on this trip, do you recommend that they put in a charging station at their home? What's your take on that? Yeah, so Electrify America also has an arm called Electrify Home. We recommend their home wall box is what they call it. It's a 240 volt um, uh, home charger. And and we do recommend that you uh, put in some home charging uh, system. It's usually very inexpensive to do. Uh, somewhere maybe between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars, and then the the J1772 connector, the connector type that goes into the car uh, to charge it, is universal. So if you have a Volkswagen or if you decide to, you know, grow the family of vehicles and have more electric cars, they they will all work uh, with anything. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes yep. sense. And then operating it becomes differently, uh, different for you, right? Because 
we're used to gas stations and you run down to a quarter tank or something like that and then you fill up but if you have charging at home you don't do it that way exactly do you? i mean you really wake up with a full charge every day you don't have to ever really worry about it you know and it saves you so much time actually um, you know, I haven't driven uh, a gas car in a long time, but I've had to rent them before. And right. it's the most annoying thing is before you have to return a rental car is you have to fill it up with gas. It's like, oh, I hate going to the gas station, you know. So you get used to that lifestyle. And, um, you know, the other thing is I've been working with electric cars for almost the last 15 years. And the um, what was really eye-opening about this trip is that when I first started doing long trips like this in EVs, and I'd done them before, I had to stop at KOA campgrounds and, like, plug into a, a plug and wait two and a half hours. Right. Now I could get across the country, have, you know, <laughs> really wild experiences and not even have to really worry about it at all because there's always, you know, Electrify America station pretty, pretty nearby. Mm -hmm. What makes the ID for a Volkswagen as opposed to just an, another electric vehicle? Well, I think it's just extremely friendly. Uh, you know, when you look at it, it's welcoming, it's accessible, the price point's accessible, but just the car itself. You get in, you know, ex you know, you don't need an encyclopedia to figure out how to use it. Uh, it's very intuitive. So uh, you can get in the ID4 and without, you know, really knowing much about EVs, be able to get around. And we've put, put the car together in, in a way uh, that will make transitioning to an EV simple. And that's what Volkswagen for the longest time has been all about. You know, how do we really change mobility? I think we've done it before. We did it a long time ago in America in the 1960s, and we were kind of a, a counterculture uh, brand. And we have that opportunity to do that again and really change mobility in terms of e-mobility this time. Mm -hmm. Makes all the sense in the world, absolutely. Um, what is your recommendation to somebody who is taking an ID4 on a long trip? You know, what should they be thinking about? What's, what should they be doing in terms of planning? or do they have to plan? I think that it's becoming, uh, it's getting to a point where you don't have to plan much. What I would tell someone that wants to do a trip like we've done, is just be sure that the place that you're looking to stay, if you're gonna stay in a, a hotel, has charging. On the road charging really is not gonna be a problem. They're, they're, they're really all over the USA now, and they connect the country. Uh, but uh, you know, one of the best things for us is when we get to the hotel at night, we're usually pretty low. We plug in and we wake up the next morning, just like we would at home um, with a full charge. So I would tell someone just to make sure that the hotel that they're at has public charging. And uh, that's really about it. Uh, the DC fast charging network is there and it's very easy to use. You use it actually very similarly to how you'd use a gas station. Yeah, yeah. What should I have asked you that I haven't, Dustin? Um, let me see. Um, <laughs> It's the freebie. You can say anything you yeah, want. Yeah, well, I would say, uh, you know, I've driven across the country before, and when I've done that, I almost always am like, oh, my back, I'm so sore. But I got to tell you, with ID4, the seats are so comfortable, and, you know, and the features of the car with, you know, we can we have integrated car, wireless CarPlay and other things, so we're playing our playlists that we have with our songs. It's just an enjoyable experience. So yeah. um, I think the thing for me is, and, and I was even surprised about it. I was like, wow, 20-some days in the road. Am I going to be able to... Am I going to be able to last? And really, I'm I'm fine. You know, we drove in from. You India. seem to be fine. Yeah, yeah we drove yeah, in yeah. early you're, from. You're walking Indio, around. You're immobile. In Indio, California, stuff. this morning early. Right. Early, we got here just fine. So I would say, uh, you know, ask how I'm doing, and I can tell you, I'm doing great. And like, we're literally at the point. Like, should we even go farther? Maybe we drive back. You know, I don't know, but I think um, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> very very cool. Well, find a cool place in Sacramento. 
We'll try. You'll certainly find some cool places in San Francisco. I yeah. have no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, have a blast the rest of your trip. Thanks for stopping off to talk with us on America on the Road. I really appreciate it. So, well, Dustin Krause, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. And that was our interview with Dustin Krause. He's director of e-mobility North America for Volkswagen. What a great trip he had. Uh, it was exciting. I wish I could have come along, at least for one of those legs or two. Uh, so that was exciting. And uh, it's always exciting to spend time with Chris Teague. I'm actually seated in a hotel room in Austin, Texas. He is in Maine today, and we're doing this cross-country. And Thanks so much for being with us, Chris. I appreciate you talking to me. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. I am an infinitely jealous of your ability to travel at the moment. But I will tell everyone, if you like what you heard and you enjoyed listening to us, go ahead and hit like or, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It will help us continue to get in front of more people and grow and hopefully bring them for bring them along for the ride, if I can talk today. And I think you can talk today. You've talked very well today. And as always, Chris, so thanks uh, for uh, co-hosting with us. I'd love to remind our listeners that uh, I have a book out there called The GR Factor, Unleashing the Undeniable Power of the Golden Rule that uh, is available for sale on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, at uh, local bookstores. So uh, please support your local businesses, of course, in this very difficult time for, for many of them. And uh, thanks so much to Mercury Insurance for helping to sponsor the show. We do appreciate that. And most of all, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, thanks for joining us again this week on America on the Road. And join us again next time with Chris T. Jack Nerad signing off here on this edition of America on the Road. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com.